Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yankees, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening. And today I'm going to be discussing Rutgers basketball upsetting number one Purdue again for a huge road win. And the New York Giants blow out the Indianapolis Colts and stamp their playoff ticket for the first time in years. So let's go ahead and get started. On a weekend where the Giants played really well and actually made the playoffs for the first time in about six years, I'm going to start today talking about Rutgers basketball, and that's how big a game it was tonight. And I'm recording this on Monday night, and Rutgers basketball, for the second consecutive season, has upset the number one team in the country, Purdue, beating the Boilermakers in Mackey Arena, 65-64 on Monday night, and it is amazingly Rutgers' sixth win in their last seven games against Purdue, who is a notoriously tremendous basketball team. Cam Spencer hit a clutch, big, huge three-pointer with 10 seconds left, and Rutgers went on to win 65-64 in one of the toughest places to play in the country. And gritty defense for Rutgers from start to finish once again proves a defining characteristic of Rutgers basketball. And Steve Peichel, who is just an incredible, unbelievable basketball coach. We are lucky at Rutgers to have Steve Peichel as our coach year after year after year. You've seen this team get better and better and better. And once again, we play in what may be the toughest conference in the country in basketball, just like we do in football. Um, and we continue to sort of move up the rankings. I don't know. What do we finish? Fourth or, or fifth last year in the Big Ten at a, at a, you know, all the teams, whatever it was against incredible competition, we continue to do well. And amazingly, we seem to have Purdue's number, which I don't know how. Purdue has just been team after team after team this year. And somehow we've, you know, got their number. We, one last year, as you may remember, with Harper's half-court three-pointer at the buzzer, which was just a defining, iconic moment for Rutgers basketball to upset number one in the country, Purdue, last year. And then again here today, on the road, we upset number one, Purdue, and the number one team in the country. And this is not like a powder puff out. They just gave them number one. You know, because they didn't lose. And they were undefeated, obviously, Purdue. But they had beaten, this is Purdue, had already beaten Duke, Gonzaga, West Virginia, Marquette. They'd they beaten some good teams already. And Rutgers went in there, just played smothering defense as they continue to do. We had to deal with their huge center, Zach Eady, who was averaging like 22 points a game and is just a monster. He's seven foot four. Seems like he takes up half the paint. He barely has to jump <laughs> to shoot. It's amazing. And he's, you know, kind of in the running for national player of the year. And he shoots free throws well. He does everything well. But, you know, we have a pretty good center on our own. And Amori played him pretty well, mostly in the first half, though. In the second half, Amori was kind of invisible. But team defense really was the name of the game. And we did not act intimidated in that environment, which is amazing. The fact that we were confident. Played fairly efficient offense, I'd have to say. There were some weird decisions, particularly by Mouat Mog and, you know, a few other players occasionally. But for the most part, we we ran a pretty good offense. Um, Cam Spencer was great. Mulcahy down the stretch, we have to talk about. Paul Mulcahy, 
just was tremendous, showed great leadership, made a lot of tough points, used his body in the paint, got his own rebounds, was tremendous late in the game, in the last three or four minutes, and got a lot of points for us when Purdue was coming back and the lead was going back and forth. Okay, he stuck with it, used his size, used his smarts, got his own rebounds, made some free throws, made a couple tough shots. Okay, he really, really, really stepped up down the stretch. As I said, while we played determined defense, the refs seem to, again, have one of those games that maybe want to scream at them, where 90% of the calls in my mind seem to go Purdue's way. I know there was a couple ticky-tack ones on them uh, as well, but it felt like they were killing us with fouls. We had I probably two to three times as many fouls in the game. I'll have to look at the stats afterwards. I'm recording this just after the game, but I feel like... Purdue had at least three times the free throw attempts that we did and and probably at least double the foul calls on us compared to Purdue. I don't know, but I'll have to look at it. It was just ridiculous. At one point they had shown that Purdue had shot 20 free throws and we had shot like 12 or something, but I don't know what the final stats were. That wasn't when the game was over. In any case, it was um, a tough game for the refs, I think. There was a lot of calls that I was really – not really happy about and and it it's hard when we have to beat really good teams and also beat the refs in some of these games and it drives me nuts. We lost the Ohio State game because of that, right? They had the winning shot, the guy was out of bounds and they didn't call it. And and it's just some of these games it's just frustrating. But in in this game we overcame it. We played well. We almost gave the game away at the end. McConnell had a couple just mind fart type plays at the end inbounded the ball to him with five seconds and he just basically ran the shot clock out. He forgot that there was five seconds on the shot clock and it was a shot clock violation and turned it over. I think there was a minute left, a minute and a half left, just ridiculous. And then on the very last play of the game, we're inbounding the ball with a one point lead with 0.4 seconds left and he shuffles his feet. All we have to do is inbound the ball and the game ends and we can't inbound the ball. He turns it over and so Purdue gets a last chance. In any case, it was a tremendous, tremendous road victory. And it really shows the leadership of our senior guards, as well as Peichel's continued leadership at the helm of this Rutgers basketball team. It is just telling that year after year after year, this team continues to improve, improve. Year after year, we lose huge people. We continue to lose very important people that leave the program you know, through the transfer portal or to the NBA or somewhere else. And we lost Young, you might remember, in the same year we lost Johnson at center um, and several other people. Um, and then, you know, we get Geo and Harper. And then Geo and Harper are gone this year. We lose Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. And if you're a Rutgers basketball fan, you know what that is. You know the amount of points that they generated last year, which is like half the team's offense, basically. And sure enough, we're as competitive this year as we've ever been. And it happens year after year. And all the props go to Peichel. Peichel is not only good at recruiting and, and getting people to backfill. He's also good at developing these young players, put them in for certain amounts of certain games. Simpson, for example, this year does not seem up to it quite yet. He had one big game against Indiana, but he struggled a lot of other games, including this game. Simpson was not good in this game against Purdue. Moat um, Mag, by the way, was, was terrible. And, you know, he's developing Mag, but Mag is still up and down. He's got a couple more years left, and Mag has got to improve more. But you can feel 
some players get better year after year. Amore, he was decent last year. He's a superstar this year, right? And you know, he brings in Cam Spencer this year, who is just one of the most clutch players, best shooters, and one of the more important pieces that Rutgers has this year. So it's quite important uh, that Peichel continues to refresh the program and lead these players and develop the young players. And he's doing so at an incredible rate and, and leading this Rutgers basketball team to heights every single year. And it's just amazing. I, I can't say enough good things about Peichel. I have so much respect for him. He's a good guy. The players love him. The fans love him. The team continues to improve. You don't have to really lose people. It's about as good as you could hope for in any coach anywhere. And if you're reading the news, we have several other big recruits coming in over the next couple of years. Rutgers basketball continues to improve, and the future is pointed up at Rutgers basketball. A gigantic, huge win Monday night, 65-64, on the road in Mackey Arena over Purdue. Rutgers beats the number one team for the second year in a row. And Rutgers has Maryland coming up Thursday night. Let's go, are you, baby? So moving on, let's talk about the New York Giants for a little bit before we get out of here today. So for the Giants, let me tell you, Daniel Jones played the best game of his life in the biggest game of his life, and he led the Giants to a 38-10 route of the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. And it was a tremendous game for the Giants and a very good game for Daniel Jones. Now, the Colts are not a great team. Um, but they do have a very good defense, and the Giants' offense looked efficient. They looked sharp. There was amazing leadership by Jones, and it was a big, huge win, and it stamped their playoff ticket for the New York Giants. The New York Giants are in the playoffs for the first time in about six years, and it is tremendous to see. It is, it is a huge accomplishment for a first-year coach, Brian Dable, who has just turned this program around. Dable has come in and taken this just dumpster fire of a team. Dumpster fire, pure dumpster fire, and turned it around. And and between him and Shane as the GM, they have changed this franchise. They've changed the attitude. They changed the outlook. And they changed the way the fans perceive this team and and the future is bright, perhaps for the Giants. A little early to say that, but an amazing turnaround for winning four games last year and looking like a disaster with Daniel Jones taking the knee at the end of last year four times, you know, and then just Judge getting booed out of the stadium to this year and the New York Giants making the playoffs and it's just absolutely tremendous, tremendous, and it's a great job and and the Giants should be very very proud of where they come from. And Brian Dable deserves all the credit in the world for for making these guys play the best they could possibly play and really just taking it to the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. Right from the very beginning, it was a great game, and it just took off from there. And all the props in the world to Dable. Now, the Giants are 9-6-1, and one, which is just amazing, amazing. And Daniel Jones um, has almost made me a believer. Now, I say almost because I want to see a little more, but he has certainly turned his game around, especially with the lack of receivers that this Giants team has. And certainly the Giants cannot be expected to be a Super Bowl team, you know, one year after being just a dumpster fire year after year. Jones completed 19 of 24 passes on Sunday against the Goods Colts defense, 
only 177 yards, but he threw two touchdown passes, one of them while on the run and running for his life, and he did a lot of damage with his legs as well. He ran for two touchdowns, ran for 91 yards or something on 11 carries. He was really, really good. I mean, he wasn't like I threw for 400 yards good, but he was very efficient. He was actually accurate. Again, most of the passes were short, but if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I am not or never have been a Daniel Jones fan. And so when I say that Jones looked really good and Jones possibly may be our quarterback for the future, that is saying something because I have been one of Jones's biggest detractors, and I think rightly so. And um, I don't think it's been written about just how bad he is because it's been covered up by the, how bad the rest of the team was and how bad the offensive line was and how bad this was and that was. But Jones has also been bad in the past. And I don't just mean all the turnovers, which he doesn't have anymore in, in the past. He had a lot of turnovers. He was super inaccurate. He ran at the wrong time. He didn't seem to have a feel in the pocket. A lot of that has changed now, right? Um, he does seem to have a little bit of a feel in, in the pocket. He, he runs very well. On the shorter passes now, he's been pretty damn accurate, you know, especially in the last couple of games. He still struggles sometimes where there, there were some games where uh, just a couple bit more accurate passes would have, would have, you know, won or tied the game this year. But um, he's improving and he's certainly not turning the ball over at all compared to past seasons. You know, he's got one of the lowest interception rates in the year and he's doing all this with absolutely no big time receivers at all. Our best receiver is Slayton and he's decent having a good year this year, but come on, Darius Slayton is not scaring any friggin' defenses this year. So, you know, you have other teams come in with these monster wide receivers, you know, and we have no one, you know, we have <laughs> absolutely no one on wide receiver that can scare anyone. So they can all try to stop the run and make Jones beat us. But Jones has not turned the ball over. He's, you know, James has had some receptions and, and all these no ones at, at wide receiver have stepped up. And I think Shane has got to, in the offseason, has got to do a lot to up the wide receiver core. Now, the Giants need a lot, but the fact that Jones has been able to do what he's done without any wide receivers, um, it really points to the fact that he might be good enough going forward. And if we actually get any wide receivers, and we definitely have to in this offseason, via the draft, via free agency, Maybe both. We probably need two to three new receivers this year, good ones, right? And we might need to use even our first-round draft choice on a wide receiver. That's how much we need a receiver. But, again, I'm not going to get into everything the Giants need because they need about three or four more linebackers and probably a you know, defensive back as well. But in any case, this is not a day for that. This is a day to talk about how Jones is leading this team and now the Giants finally, finally, Scored 30 points in a game. Oh, my God. And if you follow the Giants, you know it's kind of a running joke how long it's been since the Giants actually scored 30 points. In case you don't know, it's the first time in 44 games that the Giants went over 30 points. 44 straight games under 30 points. That is a despicable, disgusting stat. That is just speaks to the putrid offense the Giants have had for the last, I don't know, three years, two and a half years. It's been almost three years since the Giants scored 30 points. Um, I think the last time they actually scored it was in that ridiculous game where they shouldn't have, where they beat Washington at the end of 2019. Um, and they gave up the draft pick, which was, you know, Chase Young because they won. 
um, ridiculously. Uh, in any case, um, they have not scored 30 since that game, which is a distant memory at this point, until yesterday when they routed the Colts 38-10. to And it was a great game. Giant Stadium was rocking. They showed appreciation for, for Daniel Jones. Uh, again, I'm not 100% sold, but going from booing him off the field to chanting his name as they took him out in the fourth quarter, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones. It was quite a tribute to DJ and um, really showed how, more than anything, this franchise has turned around. The fact that this team was so terrible and this quarterback was so bad to going from we made the playoffs, we blew a team out, and they're chanting Daniel Jones' name as he comes off the field for a backup because we're up so much in the fourth quarter. That is the the scale of turnaround in one year. Even if it's not in tremendous in wins, it's enough in wins. But, you know, it's not like we went 15-1 or something. But the fact that <clears throat> the team is so visibly better in one year with a new GM and a new coach speaks volumes, volumes about the disgusting Gettleman era and just how terrible – and, and how much he decimated this team. Because, yeah, there's new people this year, but it's a lot of the same disasters that Gettleman had drafted with a few changes um, and, and free agents. I mean, you know, you talk about Galloway, who's actually on the team but not even playing because what did we give him? $10, $20 million a year, and he's basically sitting on the bench for backups you never heard of because that's how bad he is. And I could name 10 others, and I'm not going to go through it, but the Gettleman era is over. The Shane and Dable era is here. And, boy, the future is bright for the Giants, man. First time in 44 games that we hit 30 points. It's possible we have a quarterback. Um, I Again, I'm not 100% sold, but, boy, he looks so much better now. And I actually have some confidence in him, you know, against some teams, you know. Certainly when we play the Eagles this next week in a game that doesn't mean anything for the Giants, but will probably mean everything. For the Eagles, I anticipate us losing by another 20 to 30 points easily in this game. I don't even know if we're going to play our starters or not. But, you know, we played our starters last time. And, and the Eagles came in and just kicked us, kicked our asses in Giant Stadium. What they beat us? 48-20 or some ridiculous shit when it actually mattered for us, right? This game is not going to matter at all. We might lose by 40 in this game. Um, but we'll see. Um, it would be nice to play well and Boy, oh my God, it won't happen. But if we could somehow beat the Eagles and knock them out of the number one slot and force them to be the number two slot, that would be the sweetest thing ever. But it will never, ever happen. And um, we have to hope that if we meet them in the playoffs, we can find some kind of miracle because we'd have to win in Philly. Uh, The road, as it looks now, um, is tough. But, you know, this next game doesn't matter. And we are going to be in the playoffs. And there is one thing I would like to say more about, you know, this team and particularly this game against the Indianapolis Colts, and that is Landon Collins. He has been a huge, huge pickup by Joe Shane. Just huge, man. And Collins was great for us back in the day until we traded him or let him go to Washington, which was a disastrous mistake. I don't know if it was Gettleman. I forget who it was, but I'm sure it was. Um, in any case, Collins is back. We got him for nothing, and he's played really, really, really well for us. He had a huge pick six, which basically, for all intents and purposes, ended the game. It was only second quarter, but it put us up like 21-3 or something like that at the time, and it was huge. It was just a big, 
big, big play. Got the crowd riled up. The crowd was loud. And, oh, man, the atmosphere was just fantastic from there. We have to re-sign Collins. He's been a tremendous addition. We need all kinds of help in the secondary. And having him back was great. I have to say, there's not a lot of writing and not a lot of talk about him. But Landon Collins is now a big part of this team in, in the few games that he's played. And we need to keep him. Let me tell you, Shane, sign him. We need him. He's been great. He tackles well. He's almost like a linebacker playing safety. He covers well. And boy, you know, he makes big plays as we just saw here. Now, the Giants are going to play either the Vikings or the 49ers in the playoffs in two weeks. And just recently, it looked like it was going to be the Niners. But now, all signs point to a rematch with the Minnesota Vikings on the road. And that is beneficial to the Giants because the Giants match up much better with the Vikings than they would against the 49ers. I don't know if we can go into Minnesota and win. We almost did last time, as you remember, that fucking 61-yard field goal lost us the game last week, but we clearly match up okay with the Vikings. You know, we were toe-to-toe with them for most of the game, um, and I think we have a chance. The Niners, on the other hand, I, I don't like our chances at all. So I'm hoping, you know, things break right, and without going into all the playoff scenarios, basically there's a much better chance that we will play the Vikings now than the 49ers. And that's good for the Giants. So two weeks of the playoffs. This week comes a game that doesn't matter at all against the Eagles, if there is such a thing. And then in two weeks, we will play either away at the Vikings or in San Francisco against the 49ers. And we're hoping for the Vikings. Brian Dable, congratulations. And just absolutely the best player for the job. And I got to tell you, talking about Rutgers prior to this and Peichel and the Giants and Dayball, boy, man, we have coaches mean a lot, you know, in, in certain sports. And let me tell you, Dayball is just doing an absolutely tremendous job with this team. So go G-Man. And that's all I have. I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. If you, if you like the podcast, like it, recommend it. And share it if you can. And I'll be back with soon with some more sports talk. Thanks and have a good day.